Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Episode 173, The Financial and Environmental Benefit of a Circular Economy, with Ron Gonan. Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast, where you'll learn to save money, money, embrace simplicity, and live a richer life. Here are your hosts, Jen and Jill. Ooh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast. My name is Jen. My name is Jill. And we are really, really excited, more so than normal, to bring you this interview because I don't think there's ever been a guest we've had on that aligns so perfectly with how we see the intersection of finance and sustainability. Again, we're just taking it to the next level, I think, in hearing from Ron. He's got so much knowledge about sustainability, but on the macro level, I know we talk Mm -hmm. about it a lot on the micro level. So this is such an important conversation. And I think there's so much more to be said. We're just scratching the surface, but really excited to kind of venture into this topic for, I believe, the first time in our over three years of podcasting. So. Yeah, it's kind of hard. You you kind of feel like you're recycling, oh, that was a pun, the content about finance and sustainability, because I feel like there's only so much to say. But Ron Gonan really does take it up a level and bring some fresh perspective. And so we're very excited to share this episode. But first, our sponsors. This episode is also brought to you by the Society of Unknown Recyclables. Pizza boxes, carpet, batteries. Can you recycle them? No one knows. Well, fear not. The good people at the Society of Unknown Recyclables know. Pizza boxes? Rip up that greasy part and recycle the clean cardboard. Carpet? You can find a carpet reclamation facility and drop it off. Batteries? Some recycling centers actually take them. Check with yours. Here at SOUR, or SOUR for short, our goal is to tell you if that thing can be recycled or not. The Society of Unknown Recyclables, literally just here to tell you to Google it. (laughs) Whoa. I learned so much. I laughed a little and now I'm close to crying, which tells me that was a good journey. But also, is this a real thing? Or you literally just have to Google. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Here's the thing. Some cities are different. Like some things you can, some things you can't. It changes based on where you are. It is a real problem that I have. And uh, the solution is Google it. Google Google it for your area. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. Uh, You just got to Google it. So that is an intro, a little warm up to our conversation today with Ron Gonan. He's the CEO of Closed Loop Partners, which is the first investment firm dedicated entirely to financing companies that solve linear problems with circular solutions. So you're going to learn what the circular economy is, you know, what the linear economy is, which is the economy we are currently on. And I know we don't want to get like super like, let's study economics, but it is super important to know what economics is. So I just want to read you this little easy to understand definition. It's from the cusp. Um, And it says, our desire for stuff is endless. Stuff is not endless. So economics is the study of how we make, distribute, and consume stuff that is in limited supply. So it involves money, but it's not about 
money, if that makes sense. It's about the invisible forces that influence how we use the money to buy and sell the stuff. And so while we will hear a lot in this conversation about how to save money, we always want to include that in our episodes. Some of this, it's higher level. And so some of it does involve maybe spending money to save money in the long run, but maybe not even for yourself, maybe just for the future. And yeah, maybe saving money in ways that don't actually directly benefit you. So it is important to at least have a familiarity with economics and economies, how economies work, so that you can better understand your place in the economy. Well said, Jen. Thank you. So without further ado, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Here (laughs) is Ron Gonan. Welcome, Ron, to the Frugal Friends podcast. So happy to have you here. Glad to be with you today. We couldn't be more enthused about this topic, and we know that it's going to be something that our listeners are very excited to hear about, learn more about. I think this conversation is taking us to the next level of understanding and awareness and then actionable steps. So thank you, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today. Absolutely. So Ron, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is the circular economy? What got you interested or even passionate about this way of approaching economics and sustainability? Sure. So today I'm the founder and CEO of Closed Loop Partners. Closed Loop Partners is a investment firm and innovation center focused on building the circular economy. And what we mean by the circular economy is developing manufacturing systems where you're able to manufacture the products that we all want without a dependence on natural resource extraction for manufacturing those products or the disposal and landfill of those products. Those are the two most expensive parts of the economy of manufacturing products is the extraction of natural resource and the disposal and landfill, not the actual manufacturing of the product. And if we can eliminate those two parts of the system, natural resource extraction, disposal, and landfill, we're going to significantly cut costs and protect our environment. So that's uh, what I do today and the area that I'm passionate about. How did you get involved with this, Ron? How did you decide this is what I really want to focus in on and even to start Closed Loop Partners or or be the CEO of it? Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate when I was in high school. My first job was working for one of the first green architects in America. And through his eyes and his experiences, I got to see first what it means to go against the grain, so to speak, because he was really one of the first in blazing a trail. And I also learned about all of these principles around sustainable design very early on in my life. And it just intuitively seemed to make sense to me. And that really got me started on a career that I've been very fortunate to have focused on sustainable business practices and maximizing um, financial returns. This topic excites me so much because when, when my eyes are open to it, when I have conversations like this or have opportunity to watch shows that are focused on sustainability and you're identifying architectural design, and it, it does, it bleeds into and intersects with all aspects of our life. There's such a problem-solving component to it and creativity that I don't know if this is common, but I feel it's pretty common amongst humanity that there's something that draws us to that, but we don't necessarily know that this is something that we should be problem-solving or utilizing our creative juices about. And yet, I hear so many people complaining about plastic, right? (laughs) If it's the toys that their kids use or how much plastic is just around their house and how there's trash everywhere. Okay. Well, there's also a component to what can we do about that? This doesn't just have to happen to you. There's something that can be done. And you even talking about, oh, there's, there's ways that we can be selling products without extracting natural resources. I just want to hear so much more. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any overarching basics of what you can say regarding 
how we can go about doing this, uh, aiming at a circular economy, not extracting so much natural resources. Tell us about the problem solving and the creativity. Sure. Well, the, the first thing that's really important for people to recognize is that while recycling is absolutely a major benefit for protecting our environment, it's not the only reason why you should be recycling. The other reason why you should be recycling is it means that your city doesn't have to pay to stick your waste in a hole called a landfill. Unfortunately, the way our sanitation system was designed in the United States post-1950s, and this was intentional to hide numbers and costs from the general public to the benefit of certain industries, the cost of disposing of waste in landfills it's buried in our tax bill. It's not priced like other utilities like water or electricity. It's just a cost that's embedded in our tax bill and we have no idea how much are we actually spending and who are we paying all of this money to. And so the first thing that's really important for people to understand is that when you recycle, when you reduce, you reduce the amount that your municipality uses your tax dollars for disposing of material in landfill. And that's a really important thing to anchor everybody on. Yeah, I know you talk in your book about using New York City as an example of the way that they approach waste Mm -hmm. and the the burden that it is on the city, but also surrounding states. Like they have to cross state lines to take trash to what, North Carolina even, as far south as North Carolina. Yeah. So interestingly, New York City has probably the most robust recycling and circular economy infrastructure in the United States. So we're the only city in America where the cardboard boxes that get recycled in New York City actually get turned back into cardboard boxes in New York City and put back into the system, which is a great example of a way for the city to reduce disposal costs, generate revenue because it gets guaranteed payments for its recycled cardboard and create a lot of local jobs. But New York City, even with the best recycling infrastructure in the country, could still do a better job uh, recycling. And the material that doesn't get recycled has to go to landfill. And New York City doesn't have any landfills. And so it ships its waste to landfills in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and South Carolina. And so if you live in those three states, you're effectively the dumping ground for New York City's uh, garbage. And there's (laughs) private companies in your state that make a lot of money off of using your land to dispose of New York City's garbage. And oftentimes, if you're stuck on the highway behind a big 18-wheeler and you think to yourself, well, at least that's American commerce and the American economy and there's goods being transported around the country. In many cases, it may just be garbage that's being moved around (laughs) from one city to another state to find landfill space. That's insane. We so often, everybody forgets about taxes. They think taxes are just something they can't change. They'll always pay. Mm-hmm. So they never think about like, how can I effectively lower my tax burden? And this is actually one thing you can tangibly do. Like, I know some people complain about like, oh, recycling is expensive for our city. And like, nobody talks about how expensive landfills are for the city. Absolutely. And th- that's that's intentional. There's a phenomenal marketing campaign that for decades uh, was driven by the extractive industries and the landfill industries to hide the cost of extraction and hide the cost of disposal. And that seeps its way into the press. So I'll oftentimes get calls from the press and they'll say, well, the city just signed a contract to recycle and they're going to have to pay $40 a ton to recycle. What is your answer when people say, why should we recycle? It costs $40 a ton. And I say to the reporter, have you looked at how much it would cost to landfill those recyclables? And more often than not, the reporter hasn't looked up that information at all because they've been pitched on the story by landfill operators who have a vested interest in mm-hmm. creating this perception that there's a zero-sum game. Either you pay $40 to recycle or you snap your fingers and it all just magically disappears. And Invariably, what happens is I tell the reporter, go back and find out what are the landfill disposal fees. And they'll oftentimes come back and go, 
oh, that's interesting. The landfill disposal fees are $55 or $65 or $80. And I say, so that means that if you don't pay the $40 to recycle and potentially get the uh, revenue share that's in most recycling contracts, which can completely eliminate that, that $40 fee and create a, a revenue source, if you don't do that, if you just say, hey, I'm not going to recycle, I'm going to throw it in the garbage, you will pay that instead $60, $70, or $80 tip fee. Mm. Now, what was your question again about is it worth it to recycle? And they're kind of like, yeah, I don't really have much of an article here, do I? I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a new article. Yeah, you, 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 have, you have a new article. But the reality is, is the United States spends billions of dollars a year of taxpayer money to subsidize extractive industry. So if you think about the oil and gas industry, which is where virgin plastic comes from, for decades, they've gotten billions in federal and state tax subsidies. People oftentimes will say to me, well, if we let capitalism work, recycled plastic, if it were less expensive than virgin plastic, everyone would be using it. And I say, I agree with you. Let's let capitalism work. Let's allow the free market to see who's cheaper. Unfortunately, if we continue to use federal and state tax dollars to subsidize the oil and gas companies, we're not allowing capitalism to work. We're not allowing the free market to work. We're behind the scenes, unbeknownst to a lot of taxpayers and consumers, subsidizing uh, an industry that's actually harmful for our health and environment. And same thing, we're spending billions of dollars then sending stuff to landfill. And that cost oftentimes is not transparent to to taxpayers. Mm. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. So in your book, so there's the circular economy, which is what we want to move closer towards, which is like make, use, reuse, remake, recycle. Mm -hmm. But we're currently on the linear economy, which is take, make, use, dispose pollute. Is there any other ways that the linear economy is costing us that we don't know about? Well, the, the, the two clearest ways that the linear economy costs us money is you're paying to extract natural resources to manufacture when you could just be using recycled material. It's much less expensive to use recycled material than virgin. And the other obvious way it's costing us money is the disposing of products in landfill. The, the less obvious ways are All of this extraction of natural resources, it harms our environment. And that causes pollution. It causes health issues. The transportation of all of this waste to landfills causes huge amounts of pollution with these trucks rolling around. But it also damages our roads and highways. These are 18-wheelers rolling around our highways, causing a lot of damage. And it's completely unnecessary. So there's some very clear direct costs. And then there's a number of externalities as well that 
that cost is borne by the average citizen. Mm. And the, the element of, of what I would call severe unfairness is that if you do a great job recycling or you do a great job reusing, your tax burden is very low. You're not really sending anything to landfill. But if your neighbor is somebody that says, I don't care about any of this stuff. I'm lazy. I'm just going to throw everything in the garbage. The way our system is structured today is your tax dollars will be partially used to pay for the disposal of their items in landfill because the way we're structured is everybody just kind of shares in the cost of disposal. And that's completely Mm -hmm. uh, unfair. Yeah, there's been some, I know we're talking a lot about trash and that's a lot that's a lot of what this is about, but I know that there are some cities who will approach it and you purchase a bag, yeah. your trash has to go in that bag. So then you're only paying for however many trash bags, which yeah, that seems a bit more just for, I'm going to pay for the amount of waste that I actually use. But I think it seems to me as though when we talk about the linear economy, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about trash and how it's just easy. You you mentioned being, yeah, I'm, I, I'm just lazy. It's the easiest route. And it, the way it's set up, it's the path of least resistance to so just buy it, use it once, throw it away. But when we talk about a circular economy, there's a whole lot more involved in that that I think touches on a lot more aspects of our personhood and lifestyles that is more creative, does engage with more problem solving. And there's a lot more components to explore versus just the trash that happens in a linear economy. The the end of life of the product is the last point in the chain. And what we want to think about from the beginning of the chain is material science. Can we come up with new types of materials that don't involve any extraction? And then can we use product design to design products and solutions that use less material? So I'll give you a couple of examples. SodaStream. I'll use that example first because they're not a portfolio company of ours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. So we can rag on them? <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, I, 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 you want to think that I'm just sort of promoting. Uh, promoting yeah. one, of my, <laughs> one of my companies. Neutral, neutral. Oh, yeah, neutral. So let, let's take SodaStream as an example. SodaStream is a great example of innovation and entrepreneurship where a system was developed where if you want great tasting you know, seltzer, you can get great tasting seltzer without all of the packaging. You could just make the seltzer at home with one bottle. So that's a good example of product design where you're actually providing additional convenience to the customer. You're helping them reduce costs and you're preserving our natural resources and the environment. So that's a good example of innovative product design that got to scale. Yeah. I love how you talk about sustainability as being profitable because so often we think of it as you have to sacrifice profitability for sustainability or you have to spend more in order to be sustainable. But that is, I mean, that myth is getting debunked. That that myth is a hoax that decades <laughs> was uh, perpetuated by the fossil fuel industry, the landfill industry, to make people think that, yeah, you can go be sustainable, but it's going to cost us money. Now, behind the scenes, the fossil fuel industry was getting federal and state tax subsidies. It was a, a complete hoax. It was a complete hoax. It's much less expensive to live a sustainable lifestyle. And actually, if you look back pre-1950, and this is one of the things I cover in the book, all of the marketing that we got in the United States was focused on two things, quality over quantity, quality over quantity, and the recycling of our paper, metal, glass, and plastic as a patriotic duty. Because if you have to extract natural resources, you're harming land in the US. But also, if you end up being dependent on natural resources from foreign countries, especially if they're not friendly to us, that's not really good for our national uh, defense. And so that's what you saw pre-1950, quality over quantity and recycling as a patriotic duty. Post-1950, 
there was a concerted effort by some major industries to change that messaging that people saw. And the messaging in the 1950s and 60s changed from it's about quality to your status is directly connected to just how much stuff you have. It doesn't matter if it's like good stuff or it's going to last a long time. It's just about how much stuff you have. And it went to, hey, don't worry about recycling. Like you just put it out and it'll all just disappear and we'll make you think it's all free mm. to have it go away. And it's a complete, it's a complete hoax that unfortunately a lot of a few industries made a lot of money off the back of taxpayers and, and consumers. But living a sustainable life, it's much healthier for you and your family. Um, and you're gonna save a lot of money. It is quite striking to see the change that you've pointed out in just 70 years. Like 1950 was not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And we used to, as Americans, have a reduce, reuse, repurpose, yep. be creative with your resources, be good stewards of it. And and then that switch that has happened. And I think many of us, you know, might claim, oh, I'm not victim to advertising, but Really, my goodness, in 70 years, the, the shift that you have described and how many of us have bought into that and haven't even thought twice about the way that we utilize products. This is just how it is. We use things once and we throw it away. Yeah. And even the potential of manufacturers making things intended to break, like quality isn't... <laughs> I mean, I hear my grandparents saying they don't make it like they used to. And sometimes well, yeah, like, you have the stories but- in your book, like... Like, I was yeah. shocked when I was reading some of the intentional stories of early manufacturers, like the light bulb people, getting together with their competitors, ensuring that everybody creates light bulbs that will not last past a thousand hours. <laughs> then then you got to buy more light bulbs. <laughs> I... <laughs> And knowing that there's still, like, there's a video camera on a light bulb that's been then shining for, what, like, 100 years or something? And the light bulb has outlasted three webcams. The, the people, that's, that's absolutely true. And that's an example that I use in a book because I thought that that would be an example that everybody could relate to because everyone has the experience of every year a light bulb going dead. You got to change the light bulb and so on and so forth. And so you read about the reality that the original light bulbs over 100 years ago were capable of maintaining themselves for years, but the light bulb manufacturers realized, well, but wait a second, if we make light bulbs that last for years, that's going to cut into our profits. If we make light bulbs that run out after a certain amount of time, people will have to spend money to buy more. That was an example I used in the book because I thought it was something everybody could relate to. Unfortunately, there's dozens of stories like that. A, A more modern story is let's look at a lot of the smartphone technology that we have. Smartphones are amazing. I'm in my 40s. When I was a teenager, so just, you know, a little over 20 years ago, if somebody tried to describe a smartphone, people would have (laughs) thought you were out of your mind. Like you were talking super futuristic type Mm -hmm. uh, scenarios. So the designers and developers of smartphones, these are incredibly brilliant people. It's hard for me to believe that their brilliance ends at the ability to develop something that can't always just use the same charger. Right? (laughs) (laughs) It's always the charger. It's always the charger. It just happened with my phone last night. Yeah. It's like, you're telling me that like this amazing iPhone or, or Samsung phone you developed. It can take pictures. I can watch movies. I can watch sports on it. I can do email. I can do all of this amazing stuff, but you couldn't figure out how the next version of it uses the same charger as the previous (laughs) one. That's intentional. That's a revenue generating opportunity to just get you to buy another charger. That's the kind of stuff that we need to start stripping out of our manufacturing systems and our society because it's pushing costs onto the consumer that uh, shouldn't be there. And it's pushing disposal of products that are completely unnecessary. Those chargers that don't work anymore on phones, they have to be you know, thrown out. Those companies aren't taking responsibility for picking them up and throwing them out on their dime. They're saying, you consumer, you city, you, you figure it out. And that's uh, that's not an efficient system. Yeah. 
Another thing that I found shocking from the book was the concept of obsolescence by desire. So like that wasn't like manufacturing goods that break wasn't good enough for manufacturers. It wasn't fast enough. So then they turned to advertising to make people think they needed new stuff. And that was so much quicker. And I think that's something, I mean, that's the main thing that we talk about on this show is to not be like tricked by that, yeah. but to read it was crazy. Yeah. So your, your listeners that may have been fans of Mad Men, mm. this is actually what the show was about, right? P- Post-World War II, this advertising industry grew exponentially. There's always been advertising, but post-World War II, this industry grew exponentially. And the whole focus of that show is how do we hawk this product? How do we spin a story to make the consumer believe that their personal status is directly connected to owning this product? And what you find interesting about Mad Men is there's not a lot of satisfaction in the characters on the show. Mm. Right? The, the, the show isn't full of people who go, wow, I come in and work every day and I get the hot products, whether or not I believe in the product or not. I mean, my focus is really on like, I got to convince someone else that they absolutely need this product. I'm like, wow, I'm just, I just feel so personally <laughs> fulfilled. That's not, that's not the story, right? They're all struggling. Yeah. It's like, what am I doing? <laughs> but that's effectively what happened in the in the 1950s is we started moving our economy towards one of we just need to maintain this massive industry we had built around World War II, which was a really important industry. It helped us win the war, but it really should have been unwound or focused more on parts of the economy that actually benefit citizens. Unfortunately, it, it transitioned itself into one of let's make as much stuff as possible and just hawk the hell out of it. Yeah, like you just had a really couple tough years. You deserve literally all the stuff. And I think we've brought that mindset for the last 70 years. You're going, you know, life is hard. You deserve stuff. (laughs) I mean, that's the mindset we live by. And what what (laughs) psychologists have shown us is that what makes you happy isn't lots of stuff. What what makes you happy is your family and relationships, your, your, your friendships and the satisfaction you get out of what you do for a living and how much mm-hmm. you have. It's not core to your happiness. Everybody likes nice things, but the nice part of it is the key, which is what you should be focusing on is as a consumer is I, I want quality. I want something that looks good. It feels good. It lasts a long time when I no longer want it because I know that it was made well and you know, designed with a certain aesthetic, I'll be able to sell it to somebody else and recoup some of the value. And if my aesthetic has changed or I just, my lifestyle has changed, I'll go out and get something else that's, again, designed well, high quality materials, so on and so forth. When we talk about consumerism, that's what we should be talking about, not uh, the the route to my happiness is just how much stuff I I have, whether or not it was made well or, or not. And how cheap can I get it? How, mm. how cheap can I get it? And, you know, by, by the way, the, the question of like, how cheap can I get it? You also have to think about like, what kind of person do I want to be? Because if you're buying a $4 t-shirt, that means that there's somebody someplace in the world that was paid so little to make that shirt that that company could get the cotton, make the shirt transport it to the store for you to buy it. That means somebody was paid so little that mm-hmm. you were able to get it for four dollars. So you have to just also have to just think about like what kind of person do I want to be and mm-hmm. and what kind of system do I want to participate in. And if I saw making this, like how, how would I feel about it? And how well am I going to care for something that I only spent four dollars on? When am I going to need another four dollar shirt? Probably in a month from now. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, and then and then it gets it, then it gets thrown out, right? And then mm-hmm. got to go to landfill. And you know, we we have a weird sense of patriotism in America, where we'll say things like, "American made." We want manufacturing in the U.S., but when I go to the store, I want the cheapest thing possible, which 
obviously means it, it's got to get made someplace where there's no labor laws. So we have this weird sense of, of patriotism in America where we espouse certain values, but we're not willing to pay for those values. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. Uh, that's a challenge, I think, as a society we need to overcome and, and understand the, you know, the, the ramifications of, uh, of that and how it's all interconnected. When, when you have somebody who can barely survive working in a factory in a developing country making our T-shirts, what they're going to ultimately try to do is they're going to try to get to America uh, and, and make a better life for themselves. So if you want to solve the immigration issue in the U.S., think about who's making your products and how poorly they're being treated and um, create a motivation for them to, to stay with their, in their home and their family where they want to be um, by giving them a livable wage. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Mic drop, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about some like some actionable tips. Like what are um because m- most waste is created. I I think it's created at the manufacturing level, if I've heard that right. So like we're not the manufacturers. We can do what we can, but like what are the most significant things we can do to promote a circular economy? Mm-hmm. Like whether at home or urging companies to change? It's a a great question. And different people have different interests. So I'm going to give a few things that people can do depending on what their interests are. So if you're somebody that's very active politically, a great opportunity to go to your local political officials and say, how much are we spending on landfills? I want to know what do why are my tax dollars being used to send all this material to landfills? Like there's lots of examples of cities and communities around the country and around the world that have robust recycling systems where this material is getting collected and processed and sold. So if you're someone who is interested in politics, get engaged around this issue of we should be manufacturing in the United States. We have all of these commodities through the products we have, uh, and we don't want to be sending things to landfill anymore. And the good news is there's a lot of bipartisan initiatives right now uh, focused on building circular economy and recycling research. So that's something you can do if you're interested in, in politics. If you're just somebody at home wanting to do the right thing by the environment, but also save money, make sure you're recycling everything possible. Really understand how to recycle. If you've got a local curbside organics program where your city's not collecting your food waste, make sure you're giving your food waste for composting. So that's, that's something you do. Then if you're really interested in product design, and products, when you're at the supermarket, we're at the store, research the products that you're buying and make sure that they're using as much recycled content as possible, understand the materials that are being used, and try to shop responsibly or in a way that aligns with your with your values. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. Spending in alignment with your values. It does result in actually spending less, like consuming less. And yeah, that's like the first part. Yeah. And that's not even to mention investment, right? You've got closed loop partners where you can even be wealth building in this vein. Right. So so thank you for bringing that up. So that's the other thing is if you're interested in investing, if you over the last decade focused on investing in renewable energy, electric vehicles, recycling systems, you would have made a lot more money then if you would have said, eh, I want to stay in Exxon Mobil, I want to stay in cars, companies that aren't going electric, I want to invest in landfill operators. So if you're an investor, this is definitely where the world is going. And it's going there for a very important reason, which is the more sustainable a company is, the more transparent they tend to be. Meaning they're proud to tell you the materials they use, where those materials come from, the labor that they use, how their supply chain operates. They're proud of it. It's something that they have designed with efficiency in mind. And what do you want as an investor? You want to maximize transparency. You want to mitigate risk. You don't want any surprises. You want as much information as you possibly can get. And that's what you're going to get out of investing in investment firms like Close with partners that focuses on circular economy and recycling, or other firms uh, that do it, or just do public equities that are focused in this area. Mm. 
The beautiful thing about what you're saying too is that as we move towards this more circular economy and make both macro and micro level changes, it does save us money again on the macro level and the micro level, which I know we we want to do. We don't want to be spending as much. We want to be saving more. We want to be earning more. We want to be building wealth and all of this aligns beautifully. We're not sacrificing one thing for the other, to be content with the products that we have, to have quality over quantity, to be concerned about the level of items going to the landfill impacts our taxes. Like, I love that every single thing that we've talked about does benefit us on the micro level. Yeah, absolutely. You know what else benefits us, Jen? On the micro all of us and every macro week. level. <laughs> The Bill bill of the Week! That's right! It's time for the best minute of your entire week! Maybe a baby was born and his name is William. Maybe you paid off your mortgage. Maybe your car died and you're happy to not have to pay that bill anymore. Duck bills, Buffalo bills, Bill Clinton... This is the Bill of the Week. Ron, every week we invite one of our listeners or our guests to share with us their Bill for the Week. So do you have a Bill for us today? I do. And I really like this concept that you do because it forces you to really think creatively about how to connect dots. And so my Bill of the Week is going to be Bill Moyers. Bill Moyers used to, he's, he's getting up there in age, but Bill Moyers, for most of his career, has produced exceptional documentaries. And um, I've always learned a tremendous amount watching Bill Moyers documentaries. And one comes to mind, which I would recommend to everybody to listen to, which is uh, The Power of Myth, which is about Joseph Campbell. And I bring that up because I think studying history uh, is a really important way to understand the system that you're living in today and why it was constructed that way and to just have greater self-awareness. So Bill Moyers would be my Bill of the Week. We can't know where we're going if we don't know where we came from. Mm. This is, We've never had this one before, so yeah, well done, Yeah, I love it done, when we Ron. get like a, a person bill. Um, uh-huh. Those are my, those <laughs> are my <laughs> favorite. Yeah. It's interesting that you say this. My husband just this week was saying how he really wanted to watch a documentary but was having a hard time finding one that, that interested him. And so here we go. I know what oh we're doing gosh. this week. Any, anything, yes. anything by Bill Moyers will be uh, an exceptional learning experience. And just help you think about just systems and structures and where we came from and how we live today. I really like The Power of of Myth by Joseph Campbell, which was a book that Joseph Campbell wrote, but Bill Moyers did a a special uh, series interviewing Joseph Campbell on it. But he's got lots of great documentaries that that he's done on all different topics. So I thought it was a great question for a podcast. I wanted to come up with an answer that uh, hopefully... Is, is unique and, uh, and, and full of uh, unique experience. <laughs> Thank you oh, for your appreciation. I know. And clearly we like creativity and problem solving and you did both mm-hmm. today. So if you all who are listening want to submit your bill of the week, you've got something creative, you've solved a problem, you know a guy named Bill, visit frugalfriendspodcast.com slash bill, leave us your bill. You know we love to hear it. Yes. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. 
Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So now it's time for... The Lightning lightning Round. round. Uh, We do a lot of noises and singing and yelling It gets exciting in the second half of the show. Yeah, right. I mean, it was exciting in the first half, I'm not going to lie. So um, today we're going to share, this is where we kind of get a little more personal, like what we're doing to promote the circular economy personally. So Ron, as our guest, we would love it for you to go first. You're going to have the best answer and our answers are going to com- are going to pale in comparison, but we are very excited to hear what you say first. What I am doing to promote the circular economy is to try to build the most successful investment firm uh, focused on backing the most brilliant entrepreneurs building solutions uh, for the circular economy. Nice. What's like one that you're really excited? I know they're like children and you shouldn't pick a favorite, but like, what are you really excited about right now? What's one of them? (laughs) Which one's the coolest though? (laughs) Thank you for that preface because yes. 50 portfolio companies, and I love them all equally in <laughs> way. Um, one that we're very excited about is Home Biogas, which is a company based in Israel that's developed a, the first household size anaerobic digester. Anaerobic digesters convert food waste and biological waste into gas. And so in the United States, a lot of the wastewater treatment facilities have large digesters. These are like 50 to $250 million type facilities that turn biosolids into energy. Some municipalities now have anaerobic digesters for food waste. A number of dairy farms have them. But these are big, big, multi-million dollar facilities. No one's ever figured out how to miniaturize the technology down to the household level. And Home Biogas has been able to develop a small anaerobic digester that looks like an appliance. You put it into your backyard. You put all of your food waste into it. It converts it into gas that can pump into your hot water heater or into your stove. So homebiogas.com, check them out. We're super excited about them. Totally disruptive. And back to the earlier point on our conversation, a great example of how sustainability saves money. You take all of your food waste, and rather than sticking it in the garbage where your city's going to use its tax dollars to ship it to a landfill, instead you take that food waste and you put it in your home biogas system, and now you're generating your own gas for cooking or for hot water, which also saves you money. So that's one portfolio company that I'm very excited about. Oh, it's amazing. Cool. I love hearing about such cool, innovative things that utilize, yeah, your waste and then make it productive. It's people are brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. My turn. <laughs> Jill. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am turning my food waste into sustainable energy. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Um, 
No. So it's very, very simple. I think some of the things that I'm doing, but again, hailing back to my days of tiny living, it really connected me to my waste, the amount of water that I was using, just every, I mean, you're very connected to all of your waste in some really gross ways, but in some really challenging ways too, when you live tiny. And I think some of those things have carried over, but a little part of me does die when I throw things out. So I have been looking at how do I stop doing that? One very, very small thing that I've realized when I go grocery shopping. So if I can't get to the farmer's market or find a place where I can just like purchase produce, if I'm at the grocery store purchasing produce, I've stopped using the plastic bags, like, you know, the plastic bags in the produce section where you could just like shove your apples into. I'm like, I don't actually, I'm just going to get home. And I'm going to throw all of this away. So mm-hmm. I bring in my own bags and okay, if I don't want them sitting in the shopping cart, fine, I'll put them into the bag. And then yes, I'm going to have to wash them when I get home because they're sitting on the conveyor belt and who knows what was on the conveyor belt, but it feels a lot better to not come home and just immediately within 30 minutes, throw a ton more plastic into the trash. So that's something tiny. And I've been mending my own clothing. I've been buying significantly less clothing. Thank you, tiny living. And if it's broken, I mend it. So I like my clothes and I want to keep them and I mend them. And that's that. I think those are all excellent examples for your listeners. It's amazing over the course of the year, how many plastic bags we use at the supermarket for our produce (laughs) completely unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. And that just shows you the inefficiency in the system. Like the supermarket is buying all of those bags and they're passing that cost off to the consumers because they have to cover those costs. And then we as consumers use those bags. It's completely unnecessary. You can just put it in your shopping cart and Mm -hmm. put it in your shopping bag and and go home. And then at, at home, we have all these plastic bags that we literally used for maybe an hour and then we just throw it in the garbage. So love that example. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> yeah. Love the fact that you mend your own clothes. Um, we actually need an industry in the United States where people f- mend clothes again, fix electronics mm-hmm. again. And so love all of those examples. Mm, thank you. Yes. Yeah, it's it's not needed. Most of the ways that we approach, and mind you, you are paying for that plastic, right? Like they they offer it like yeah. it's free, but like you're uh, paying for it in the pricing of the produce. That, that's what I mean by all of these hidden costs in the system. Is you're just grabbing these plastic bags. People don't stop to think for a moment. They're like, oh, the supermarket bought these because they think I want them, but they're going to have to cover their costs, mm-hmm. and so that cost gets passed on and this is what I mean by like, we got to break that, that system and avoid all these unnecessary costs. Mm -hmm. Jen, what you got for us? So, um, I have a few wins lately on the subject of grocery bags. So I do grocery pickup and like, they just put every individual item in a plastic bag. It's so useless. But like, so I will, there's um, the other grocery store near me has like the recycling for those plastic bags because we can't just throw them in our regular recycling. And so I will hoard these bags and get like a big bushel of them and then take them to the grocery store. And one time I was like taking my, my carrying my bushel and a lady, uh, she's like, thank you so much. Um, And I was like, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah (laughs) i do that with my bags but yeah so i i my most recent win is i try to buy as much clothing as possible secondhand but jeans have been something i've had a real problem with but i've devoted myself like to buying new jeans to really like buying quality and buying them secondhand um and so i went to Nordstrom and I tried on all the nice sustainable jeans so I could find my size, found my size, went to the, um, saved all my sizes and stuff and, uh, saved searches on ThreadUp so I could find when the good jeans in my size come up, then it sends me an alert so I can see if I want them or not. But then I also went into our local, um, like a it's like a local consignment it's like a plato's closet but it's local and found a pair in my size 
that are not just like good quality, but they're the ones that are like also like we make our jeans sustainably too. So I got sustainable jeans that are good quality secondhand and they feel so good. And so I just felt like a real winner that day. <laughs> you you so were like, you you were a real winner that day. <laughs> <laughs> Ron sure. says you were. Yeah. Sorry. And it's a great example for your listeners and one that that Every everyone listening can can replicate. It's a it's a great story. On the example you gave on the plastic bags, we're running a major initiative at Closed Loop Partners on reinventing the user experience around uh, shopping and what those bags look like. It's called reinvent the bag. So if any of your listeners want to Google reinvent the bag or go to our website and uh, look for it if they're interested in that area, that's one thing that's a major focus of ours is how do we reinvent the consumer experience to make sure people can easily get the things that they need, but avoid um, all of those bags. Another thing you can do with those bags is weave them into blankets for the homeless. I mean, you can also just give them like good blankets, but apparently the insulation factor of them are decent. Well, that's, that's the thing about plastic is that it's this bag that was made to use once, but the way plastic is designed is it doesn't really break down. So Mm-hmm. From the perspective of yeah. nature, <laughs> it's extremely dangerous. From a usability standpoint, um, plastic can be a, a great product. Yeah, and you could literally make it into blankets for homeless, and it'll be waterproof and 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 generate heat. It's important for people listening to understand like plastic in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. Plastic has a lot of major benefits. It's super lightweight. It can be uh, formed into multiple shapes. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to plastic. The key is it can never be virgin plastic because that means that there's a fossil fuel extracted. We should be using material science to develop plastics that can be manufactured in labs. And whatever plastic is out in the market, we have to make sure that we're always, always recycling it to make sure that it never ends up in, in nature. Mm. Beautiful, Ron. Where can people get more from you, your book, more knowledge from you? If this is an exciting topic, how do people get at you? There's my book, The Waste-Free World, that uh, people can learn about the history of the linear economy, the circular economy. There's lots of really fun and interesting stories in there. So that's one area to learn about the circular economy. Another area is if you go to our website, closedwithpartners.com, and you just look at our different portfolio companies with about 50 companies all doing really innovative things in the circular economy. That's also a great way to learn about innovative solutions and um, great companies in the circular economy. That's awesome. And the book will definitely make you rethink the things that you may have taken for granted and definitely make you double think about the waste that you're producing. I know it did for me. So I highly, highly recommend the book. It's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And, um, any of your listeners that get the book, I hope they they enjoy it and um, also learn from it and uh, love to always hear from people about what they thought. Excellent. Thank you so, so much, Ron, for being with us today, for sharing about the circular economy. Uh, it's been a blast. All right. Thank you so much, guys. It was uh, great to be with you today. Whew. What'd you think of that, Jill? That, huh. Amazing doesn't feel like the right word, but it's all that comes to mind right now. Again, if you didn't catch my enthusiasm in the interview, (laughs) I don't know. You might have been sleeping, but I don't know how you could have. I Again, (laughs) I think whenever I am on this topic, thinking about it, talking about it, it does give me some motivation and determination to then look at what else can I be doing? There's something about this that hits a core part of me of, yeah, how do I, how do I make the world a better place? How do I make sure that I'm a part of that equation? How do I just even within my own little ecosystem, make sure that I am doing right by others, by myself, by the products by that I'm consuming, by the community that I'm surrounded by. So, 
so much good stuff. I think not just for understanding more of where we've come from, where we're going and the bigger picture of things, but then I think some really tangible pieces. I really love how Ron broke it down to your different levels of interest. Are you interested in politics? Are you Mm -hmm. interested in design? Are you interested in investing? I think wherever you find yourself, or if you're interested in all those things, there's something actionable for you. So hope that you all listening were able to take at least one takeaway from this. And of course, if you've got things to add to this conversation, let us know. We want to hear it. We're hanging out in our Frugal Friends community group on Facebook. So yeah, really, I think that this isn't a conversation that just ends here. Um, What excites me about this is where we can go from here. Absolutely. Yeah. Ron's book actually got me thinking about the American dream. And like when that term was coined was far before the 1950s, Mm. from what I believe. I don't know facts, but from what I believe. (laughs) So the since the 50s, we have been reshaping what the quote-unquote American dream looks like. And so now there are so many people saying the American dream doesn't work. And that's because it's not the same American dream that people had when the term was coined. Like when like reducing your consumption and repurposing, reusing, when valuing the quality of your items was really important, was the mainstay of of buying things. That was the goal. That saved you so much money so that you can afford other things that build wealth. And, And now we have for 70 years. So like our entire lives, our parents' entire lives, most of our grandparents, like we have been ingrained with this new quote-unquote dream that more stuff is the dream and it just it all the stories some of them are very sinister and it just like really got me thinking and so I have definitely changed my perspective even caring about sustainability but like diving into this um, with the financial aspect which is something like I'm even more interested in Mm. that connection has just really changed up things for me. Mm, sinister. That's a good word to describe it. Yeah. What's being hidden, what's being kept secret and ultimately harming us on again, the micro and macro levels. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. We want to thank you so much for your kind reviews on iTunes and Stitcher like this one from Acacia PRD says new obsession happens to be Mm. five stars. Hey guys, you are my newest obsession. I recently discovered this pod and I have been doing some serious binging. Thank you so much for making an otherwise dry and complex topic. So fun and easy to understand. I've also come to love the little quirks like the fake sponsors and bill of the week. Keep it up. With a little hug emoji. Mm, I'm hugging you, Acacia. That, ooh. You know, I'm okay being an obsession for somebody. <laughs> yes, you are. I've got my own yes, obsessions. And so let's let's keep it circular, you know? I'll be obsessed <laughs> with something. You be obsessed with us. And we'll just keep the obsession going. Oh, my gosh, Jill. Give you we more also to binge. want to thank you guys um, for sharing these episodes on social media. I, we really hope you will be sharing this one. This one was meaty. I will be sharing it. So when you share the latest episode on Facebook or Instagram and tag us at Frugal Friends Podcast, we're going to enter you into our monthly drawing where we, for every five tags and reviews we get, we are giving away a copy of the Frugal Friends Workbook. So keep leaving us reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. Send us the screenshot to our email, frugalfriendspodcast at gmail.com. And still tag us on social, just all the ways. Get at us, spread the message, spread the love, and you are entered for that giveaway. Mm, So stay sustainable, don't be trashy, and we'll see you next week. Frugal Friends is produced by Eric Siriani.
<laughs> so good. It takes my Don't design be aesthetic being hot trash to another level. Well, that's how you're reducing, reusing, and recycling is by allowing your aesthetic to be hot trash. Yeah. As I just use hot trash, I am repurposing <laughs> trash. And I'm in Florida, so it's hot. That's how you... And actually, yeah. my house is hot because our AC unit is so old. It's a joke that carries over from our Frugal Living Summit, where Jen described her aesthetic as hot trash. No, I think that um, was an episode. Was it? Oh, that was gosh. our design it all blends yeah. together, kind of like Home how my decor. dreams blend into my reality, and I'm you starting are having to tell the difference. Some deja vu, and your life is. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm living in in the the matrix. You are. You are. Taking both the red and blue pills. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a and b with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers. Or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save. With a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia movement that inspires call 800-334-Q for details always drive safely sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only quantities are limited must take delivery by 7824 hi i'm michael rapaport and i'm kibi rapaport and together we're hosting rapaport's, rapaport's reality, reality podcast. podcast we have a passion for reality tv and we're inviting you into our living room we're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today that is right Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.